Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Funeral Boss Inc. Podcast. So this episode is called Death Negative. So we all know, we all heard about the death positive movement, right? It's huge and if you were to look up the hashtag on Instagram, you can see how many people have, you know, used the hashtag death positive and I'm looking it up right now so I can tell you as of today, the hashtag has been used over 89,000 times. <laughs> so it's a big deal, right? Well, I wanted to share with you guys just my recent experience with feeling, you know, a negativity toward that word. And um, let me explain, let me explain before you get upset with me. <laughs> I recently joined working in the hospice industry and I can't tell you guys what a difference in emotions being involved in hospice has been for me compared to serving families who have lost somebody already. So I wanted to share a couple stories and maybe you guys can understand why I was feeling a little uh, salty about the <laughs> word death positive. So well, let's, let me, let me kind of step back a few steps here. So, you know, when it comes to the positive movement, death positive, in my eyes, in my perception of the movement, it's always been, you know, we're all going to die one day. Let's talk about death. Don't be afraid of death. Guess what? You're going to die. Yay. Like it, it's been very in your face, you know, like don't be afraid of death. So I, you know, I, I personally have, don't have a problem with the idea of death because it's been my whole life, right? Death care has been my whole life. But seeing people, you know, over the last couple months going through the hospice phase and just seeing literally them dying and the reality behind the fear of it, it just really, really kind of touched me. And I wanted to share with you guys and I wanted to share with you the end result of after me thinking about it and just really sitting and just kind of going through the motions and just watching my friends in death care how it kind of I circled back and I brought myself back to being death positive <laughs> okay so okay so first off yes I joined the hospice industry it's first time in all my life I joined hospice care and I'm in a position where I am helping families who are either helping sign their loved one up for hospice because no more treatments are available. Their loved one is dying. Okay, there's no more medication. There's no more surgeries. There's no more treatments available that are going to save them. Okay, so I'm dealing with families that way or I'm dealing with the actual person who has to accept that there's no more medications, there's no more procedures, there's no more anything that is going to save them. So my last few patients were really hard. And one of them, um, she was 22 years old. 22 years old. I just can't even, I'm still having a hard time comprehending that because at 22, you haven't even scratched the surface on living yet. You know, you're just getting started, <laughs> you know, out in the real world. And I got a call from a social worker that said, hey, I had to deliver the news today that hospice is going to be a reality for her. And she's just not accepting it. 
she's devastated. She's very emotional and I just please need you to talk to her to let her know what hospice is and what are the next steps to get her going because she's in a lot of pain and we just want to make sure she's comfortable. So here I go, you know, have an appointment on a phone call with her and I give her a call and the sweetest little voice answers and I introduce myself and I, you know, wanted to let her know, you know, what service hospice was, um, the, what she's entitled to, you know, because insurance is going to cover hospice. She doesn't have to pay anything out of pocket. And, you know, she just starts crying and I'm just letting her, I'm letting her cry, you know, and she says, I am so afraid to die. I am not ready to die. And I had no words for her. I had no words. How do you turn that conversation into a death positive one, you know? And I just started to ask her about herself. You know, tell me about you. And she was like, oh. And so she kind of was like, you know, took a deep breath and said, you know, I can't tell you. This is the first time someone's asked me this. I've just been dealing with medical professionals the last year and a half asking about just my symptoms or my pain level or how I'm reacting to a medication, but no one's asked about me. So she starts sharing with me. She's the only child. You know, both her parents are immigrants and she has helped support them since she was a little girl. She would help with them. They would make food and sell food for a living. And she was always there, you know, anything having to do with paperwork or um, healthcare, everything she's done on her own. And she's had to help her parents because English wasn't their first language. And I right away, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this poor girl, she's lived her life taking care of her parents. And now she hasn't really even had a chance to live her own life yet and she's going to die and she they they had literally said she had maybe a month or two left because she had a cancer very aggressive and the cancer had spread into um you know her liver and once it gets into other organs it's just it's you know there's not much they can do and she was in literally a lot of pain um so it was just it was so devastating for me you guys to have the conversation with her to just let her know what hospice was and what they can provide her, which is pain management so that she's not in any agony. And, you know, she wasn't ready. She said, no, I don't want to sign up for hospice yet. I want to fight this. I'm going to get a second opinion. And I said, okay. I said, I understand. I am, I completely understand. I'm going to give you my phone number and you call me if you have any other questions that come up okay or if you decide you know what this is what I want this is what I need I'm accepting it but I told her you have to be comfortable with it because this is not something anyone can force on you and she said I understand she said thank you for listening to me and I'm gonna get some rest so I remember having this conversation with her it was like a Tuesday and then um Friday she had that appointment with the second opinion so I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I don't wanna call her, follow up, I'll wait till next week. So next Monday comes along and I reached out and I said, just wanted to check on you. I wanted to see how the second opinion went. And she just cried and she said, 
they said there's nothing they can do for me and there's nothing that they'll try or attempt because the last year and a half everything that could have been done treatment wise medication wise has been done so there's nothing I can do so she said I'm I think I'm ready for hospice now so you know to kind of just highlight the word hospice is very scary for a lot of people and so far my experience has been very very emotional when it comes to discussing this with the family as soon as they even say the word they automatically just most of the time cry or take a deep breath because it just means the end for them right so just giving her the information and being able to assign her a team that's going to help just take care of her and make her comfortable and just enjoy her family while she was you know the last few days she had I think it just helped her. And one thing that I've really appreciated about the hospice, um, you know, community is when a patient is given a team, I would say they're assigned a team and it comes with a team of professionals who are going to support this patient through this transition. Um, I noticed there's just a huge place for, you know, those end of life doulas, death doulas. I can see them in the mix as a requirement being a part of the team it's just there's so many patients that they're just not ready to say this is the end there's so many patients families that haven't accepted that this is the end even though they've seen their loved one go through these painful treatments they've deteriorated they are so weak they're tired families are such in denial during this transition so it's been, my gosh, you guys, talk about information overload for me. Uh, emotional overload, you know, it's been a long, long couple months. Um, but I'm starting to just really kind of embrace the whole idea of, wow, you know, here you are, you're helping somebody during such a vulnerable time. And guys even though you know when they when they pass away and the family goes to a funeral home to make those arrangements it's giving me a whole new respect for that time as well because you see everything a family goes through when they're dealing with a loved one that's been on hospice all the doctor's appointments all the people in and out of their homes um all the stress of sometimes people don't have a beautiful warm home to offer a family member who's dying so you know you have to try and find a facility now like a a skilled nursing facility that can hold them you know till they pass so there's so many moving pieces it's just uh, if you could take anything away from this just remember that again i've said it before when a family walks in to the funeral home or through the cemetery doors they're exhausted you're their last stop and they've been through so much before coming to you for help so keep that in mind um so that was when 22 years old she was put on hospice monday and she ended up passing away two weeks later so that was very very hard it was you know i'm hoping that at some point she had that peace of accepting that she was passing but it wasn't a conversation that her and her family were happy to have so that's what kind of made me start feeling like oh my god it isn't always death positive for everybody this is scary it's a very frightening thing 
for a 22-year-old who has just barely started living has to go through and accept. So I think everyone could completely agree with me that it is a very, very hard topic in that situation. And, you know, also I think it's a cultural thing. Not all cultures embrace the topic. You know, some um, cultures are just like, don't even bring it up. It's, you know, bad luck. It's just not something we want to talk about. And so there's a lot of room still for growth when it comes to that topic of discussion. And, you know, in that scenario, she was so young. So I had another patient and it was kind of a very similar thing. She was so young. She was 35. She was a mother of two and she was also dying of cancer. And she had a fought for about two and a half years. And she was suffering from really bad stomach pain. And of course, she goes to the ER the first few times and they're just kind of sending her home given her some pain meds she'll be fine but she knew something was wrong so after the third time you guys they finally start to look and they found she had cancer so it's like trust your body right she was trying to tell them something's wrong I know something's wrong and of course by the time they found it it was so aggressive and it had spread everywhere so she went through a long battle the last two and a half years just trying to be rid of it and It got to a point where the physicians, everyone, you know, who was taking care of her through these treatments, there was nothing more they could do. And, you know, I can imagine too how hard it is for them to have that discussion with the patient to let them know there's nothing more we can do. We're sorry. We've tried it all. You know, imagine seeing a patient come in terrified the very first appointment then they start getting treatment and they're going through this cycle and then they're kind of getting positive and feeling better and stronger. And then it's like they take a turn and then it's just sorry. And the thing too with like oncologists, people dealing with cancer patients, they have one patient, they've tried everything they could to try and save them. You know, they were unsuccessful and then now there's another patient waiting for their help. So it's just a full cycle of sickness and you know, kind of a next, next mentality. So with funeral, the funeral profession, same thing, right? You help one family, you have another one waiting for your help. It's just, it's a vicious cycle and such a sensitive, um, you know, topic of someone's life. But this, this patient here, um, the difference was I didn't have the conversation with her. I was speaking to her mother and the mother was just, oh my gosh, talk about, you know, the best support system. She had shared with me that her daughter got very sick and her spouse just could not handle it. And he left, he left her during all of this treatment she was going through, everything she was dealing with. He just, it was too much for him to deal with. And so he leaves her, you know, but her mom stuck by her side. She went with her to every single treatment. Anytime the daughter had to be hospitalized, her mom slept there with her. She did not leave her daughter's side. She was one of the biggest advocates I've seen, you know, so far for for her for her daughter. So, um, you know, it was a hard discussion, and she 
one thing that a family can request and this is what she did they request they can request for you to not be allowed to use the word hospice around their family so you have to if you're given that instruction you have to share that with the rest of the team so that they know you know you highlight that when you're handing off please do not say the word hospice family does not want you to use the word hospice and even though the daughter went through I think she went through like three surgeries through chemo radiation everything her body was just a mess because of all the treatments she had to go through and the aftermath of it all she just was not accepting that she was dying and she didn't want her kids to know she was dying so you know the mom was just a nervous wreck because she said it's like walking on eggshells you know because i i don't know what i'm okay to say around my grandchildren I don't know what I can mention to family members. Like it's a very tense situation for me when I'm just trying to do the best I can to just make sure my daughter's not in pain. So that was really hard. Um, and then the mom kept insisting too on certain things to be done for the daughter. Like, you know, you guys hear in the funeral profession when you get a case and they're with edema, you know, a lot of the time it's because the family keeps pushing IVs and because they think they're helping their loved one, but they're not. It's like there's a, it comes to a certain point where the body is already starting to shut down. So you need to kind of cut certain things out so that they don't have that kind of um, experience once their body starts to, you know, go through the nat nat natural progress of, of decomposing and they're gone now. So I've seen that element as well of families having the hard time of cutting out certain things because they think they're hurting the person who's dying um, and this mother in particular she really fought the hospice team on a lot of the things that they were recommending she would be pushing back on it because she wanted this and wanted that and wanted to make sure the daughter was still getting this treatment and this medication when she didn't have much time at all the main priority should just be the comfort so that she's not in pain and she could just enjoy her family. So, you know, with this situation, same thing. I, I can't imagine having to discuss the topic of her being gone. She's dying because she, in a strange way, she she was still in a way hopeful that maybe, maybe a cure will come up, you know, within the next few months. And the daughter had weeks. She didn't have months. She didn't have this long road ahead of her that I think the mom was hopeful for. So, you know, that was just another one I just really thought of and her poor children to not really grasp that their mom would be gone in a few weeks. You know, I have that open conversation with them because they couldn't. It was too sensitive of a topic to discuss. That was really hard to, to kind of watch play out. And of course, the daughter ended up passing away. She ended up passing away three days after she was brought on to hospice care because her body was just ready to go. She, her body was, I think, ready before she was emotionally. So that was tough. Um, okay, so my last story I wanted to kind of share, it kind of brought me back to embracing and just fully understanding what death positivity means. Um, it was this beautiful couple, husband and wife. They traveled to California for treatment. 
uh, because they went to a facility that was, you know, very famous for being able to help with clinical trials and try different treatments on patients that were not uh, readily available to everyone suffering from certain ailments. Uh, ailments. So by the time they got here, they were told that it was already too late. There was nothing that could be done. And he ended up taking a turn for the worse. So the wife um, called me directly and said, I got your phone number from one of the social workers. I just wanted information on a hospice. And she said, you know, he's too sick to even travel home now. We are not going to be able to get on the plane and get him back home. Because at this point, it literally happened within a day or two where his body just started to shut down. So what we had to do is I had to help her arrange getting him into a facility where he can be placed onto hospice care because they didn't have a residence here where he was in the hospital. They, they're not even in from the state. So I had to help him arrange for that. And then we had to arrange for a facility where he had a private room so that his family can try to make it here to say goodbye to him. So, um, you know, the wife, my gosh, talk about a rock. She was just so strong. And she said, you know, we've been fighting for four years. And anytime she would kind of talk about his illness or his treatment, she would say, we, we, we've been doing it. We've been strong. We've been trying. And she just, she was, you know, his partner. She was legitimately just hundred percent his rock and partner in his illness. And she said, you know, um, the hospital is trying to make us do another clinical trial, but he's saying, no, he's tired. He's tired and I'm trusting him because he knows what his limits are. He knows how far he wants to go. And he said that he's tired. So I told her, okay, I go, let me do what we can to try and get him out of that hospital. Let's get you guys somewhere you could just be together. And she said, yes, that's what I want. So, um, you know, put everything in motion we get him discharged put into a place where they can just be together and she said they had I remember her calling me the next day just to say thank you she said thank you so much for making this happen you know we had a long conversation last night and we talked about his death and him leaving me and and passing and we have so much peace because we've had the conversation and he's not afraid of it anymore. And she said his main priority right now is he just wants to see the kids and he wants to say goodbye and he wants to have one last dance with me. You know, so we laughed together and I just thought it was the most beautiful thing. And I was so thankful to hear, you know, about three days later, he passed away. And one thing that I really always appreciated is part of the hospice team, a family is assigned a spiritual counselor. And I always recommend taking them up on it. You, you don't have to be religious. It just has, it could be somebody just bringing you comfort. And the spiritual counselor had sent out an email after he had passed, just saying, you know, this was, this is what the family's experience was the last few days. So it was just a beautiful recap of, you know, the husband and wife, you know, talking about his passing, have him having peace with it. He was able to see all of his children. They all got there in time to spend the last two days with him. And him and his wife, they were dancing the night before he passed. 
they had their last dance and they were laughing and just enjoying each other. And the wife was right by his side holding his hand when he took his last breath. Oh, so just reading that, I just thought in my head, you know, I know it's such a big deal to have that discussion, but imagine having that ahead of time with a family member that you know will honor wishes for you or so it just kind of brought me back to why it's so important for that death positive movement you know the actual conversation of what are your wishes when you pass what do you want or why do you think it's so scary to talk about it or you know what do you want to do before you pass one thing I, I I remember thinking this years ago out of all the families that I helped out of all the funerals I did I thought I wonder how many of those people died feeling fulfilled. And I don't think a lot of them did because most people live for others. So I said it it before, I'll say it again, guys. Make sure you're living your life to the fullest that you can. It doesn't always have to be about money. Just make sure you're in a place where you're happy emotionally, mentally, you know, surround yourself with people or things that are going to make you feel just light and happy because in the end you know what can you want to pass away feeling at peace as much as you can and this couple here just made me realize you know how beautiful it is to be at peace with you passing away one day 